Welcome everybody. Yo, come on in. We would love for you to jump in the chat and tell us who you are, where you're tuning in from. So everybody down at the bottom of your screen, right there in that little chat box, y'all should know how to use this by now. Click on there, tell us hello. Hi, I am Amber Tool, and I live in Ocala, Florida. And I am going to sit in for Sarah tonight. So I will be your moderator here for the webinar. Y'all, this is going to be amazing. We have some awesome women on the webinar tonight talking about the complexities of training and coaching women. And I can't wait to get into this really quickly. I am a fitness professional. I've been in the business for three decades. I have a studio in Ocala called The Training Tool. And the majority of my clientele are over 40 females. So I have a lot to also offer to the conversation tonight. And I'm going to go around, let all of the ladies um, introduce themselves. But first, I want to say hi, Peggy from Cleveland. Heidi and Osceola, Wisconsin, Megan, Chicago, she's breastfeeding, woo, Lori and Charlotte, Gail in Albany, New York, yay, and Regina, she's from Fit for Mom, so she must be a part of your gals over there, Jessica, so well, let's start with Jessica, go ahead, Jessica, and tell us a little bit about you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica Maurer, and I don't usually sound this way, so excuse my voice for this presentation, but I am the Director of Product and Operations at Fit for Mom. We are a fitness-based franchise that specializes in pre- and postnatal fitness. We do everything from fit for baby classes to our classic stroller strides. And I am lucky enough to be the one responsible for helping train our instructors and our franchisees nationwide. Awesome. Irene, how about you? Well, hello, everybody. First of all, thank you for spending your time with us. I think you're going to be happy with it. We are um, a group of very educated women with all kinds of different experiences, and I'm very pleased to be on the, with this group of women. Thank you so much. My name's Irene McCormick. I'm a, a university faculty. I work adjunct at a variety of schools, and I mostly do it virtually um, because I live in Des Moines, Iowa. So the last school that I worked at was the University of Georgia, which people are like, how do you get there? It's virtual. Don't forget, virtual is really big now. I have my own company, gogetherpod.com, where I offer virtual personal training services to women. And so not only do I have to coach them, but I have to coach them virtually, which creates just a tiny wrinkle of additional, um, you know, just consideration. I'm a, a, um, I, an author for human kinetics. I wrote a book called The Hit Advantage for Women. Um, I am a subject matter expert and I'm a fitness professional just like you. I train and I teach and I love to learn. So I'm really excited to be here tonight. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Joanne, you're up. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you very much for inviting me. And I've stayed up late. It's midnight here in London. So um, I, that's how excited I am to be here. And I am the head of education at Faster Health and Fitness. And uh, we are a education providing company. Now, when I first got into the business, which like yourself, Amber, was 
three decades ago, uh, I never thought that I would become a geek. So I came into the world as an actress, not as in I was born an actress. Well, I thought I was, but um, <laughs> I went into the world of acting and obviously got myself a job in a gym in the reception and thought, no, I want to teach classes. Then I thought that's not enough. I want to be a personal trainer. And then I thought that's not enough. I want to educate trainers. Um, so I've always been really, really passionate about it. But um, I laugh, Irene, because the science side of it was not my thing. I just wanted to watch TV, really. Uh, but it has become my absolute passion. Uh, so what I have learned through Faster is that with some simple tools, you can actually go from looking at evidence base, which is everything, which meant like my dad saying to me that fairies were real. And that was the evidence I followed to actually scientific evidence that is tested under the rigor of science. So that is my passion is to make that accessible to everybody. Awesome. Thanks, ladies. Let's get into it. Are y'all ready? So the first question I have for everybody is, what are some of the key differences in the fitness goals and the needs of women compared to men? Irene, you want to start us off? Wait, you're you're muted. Okay. Yes, I have to unmute because I sometimes crack up at some of the things that everybody says, and it's just so funny because it's so true. But one of the things that I find with clientele that I have, and which are primarily women, but I do work with men, is that um, we, and Joanne, you made this comment just in your introduction, you had said something about, we want to make sure that fitness is accessible to women, everybody, of course, but people just operate off information, concepts, um, myths, misconceptions that were probably what we thought 30 years ago. Um, remember, we only really started to study the science of exercise in probably late 70s, early 80s. You wouldn't even see an exercise science program offered at the collegiate level until the late 80s, early 90s, unless you were looking at a truly remarkable school, which you know, that's about when it all started. So we've learned so much over the time. Unfortunately, our consumer marketplace has not. And from, so from that perspective of just, you know, what's going to work and what's going to not work, there's still a lot of myths and misconceptions. No disrespect to some of the founding people, you know, that we refer to. We think of Jane Fonda, we think of Richard Simmons. I'm standing on those people's shoulders to be where I am in this industry. Just because they didn't have always the right information didn't mean that they weren't, you know, super great. But that's the thing we have to do as fitness professionals um, and somehow with the consumer market is figure out how do we help them understand what is actually real and what isn't. Last thing, I mean, as a fitness professional, and I'm not trying to wag my finger, but I'm sort of wagging my finger. If you are teaching HIT programs and you do not have an amazing understanding of ATPPC and anaerobic glycolysis, you should not be teaching HIT programs. That's how important the science is. So our, our clients don't know that. And a lot of women have misconceptions about muscle size, fat, calories that men sometimes also have. But I find that I have to really help them get up to date. And it can be a little challenging. Jessica, would you like to add something? Couldn't tell if I was just going to jump in or not. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so I, I find typically in working with women, no matter their age and stage of 
motherhood of being a female, they, they typically are quite self-sacrificing and they're willing to give up their time in their day in order to support their loved ones, whether that's kids or partners or businesses, or even taking care of their parents. They are very self-sacrificing and they forget to take care of themselves. And they'll get to a point where exercise isn't a priority. Self-care isn't a priority because they find those things to be selfish. And we need to work as a society to reframe it. That self-care and exercise is not selfish. It's a way that you can better prepare yourself to take care of those around you. If you can't take care of yourself, if you're not physically able and stable enough to take care of yourself, then how are you going to be so self-sacrificing to be able to support your kids, your partners, your business, or your parents as they continue to age? So I really think we need to flip the script and, and get out of the stereotype that men can drop everything they're doing and stay to their, their, their workout plans or their fitness goals, and women have to sacrifice and give that up and instead make the, the stereotypical ideas not obsolete and reframe it to know that exercise is self-care, movement is self-care. This is how you honor and take care of your body. Love it. How about you, Joanne? Yeah, yeah I think, I think um, as I said uh, earlier, I, I agree that, you know, time poor is one of the key things for women. Um, but I think it's great also that Irene mentioned that men also have these issues. And as we're talking about the complexities of coaching, um, if we remove women from it and remove gender, um, we call back again to what Irene said, which is knowledge. And knowledge is the thing that will help us. I'm not going to say empower because we're not here to save people. It's not the writing reflex. You know, we are here to guide people and, and help in that way. And some of the things that have helped my students is to be able to have a process that means that they can get to know the person that's in front of them to find out what inspires them, what's behind their goals and importantly what are their hurdles are they time poor um you know are they uh, struggling because they are experiencing menopause are they experiencing pain what are those hurdles you know um we all have different hurdles and some people might say well i want to play basketball but i'm very short you know we all have different hurdles so how can we look at the science and the beautiful thing about that as well if you've got that process it means that whatever you come to, you're working from the best evidence available to you. So if that does change, uh, and let's face it, in the 30 years that we've been doing it, a lot of things have changed. But if it does change, it means this process allows us to change when we're wrong. So there's no ego attached to it. There's no emotion attached to it. We just go, hey, last week, this was the best thing we could do. But you know what? Now it isn't. So let's move on. And let's do what's best for you. And I think the key is the you, the unique person in front of us. Absolutely. Focus on that individual and what they specifically need. That's, that's a great point. Awesome, ladies. So um, also, I just want to say, if any of you have questions, please put them in the chat box. As we have a break, I will jump in and uh, ask the questions so the panel can answer them. Our next question. What are some strategies for helping women overcome common challenges such as body image issues or feeling unwelcome in the gym? I'm going to 
I, I'm going to start with this and say the biggest thing that I see with a lot of people who come in to work with me is they're focused on a number. Their weight, I want to be, and they have this like specific number in their brain. They're like, I want to be 135.75 pounds. And I always ask them, okay, why? Well, at one point in my life, I weighed that. And that's when I felt my best. And I'm like, okay. So I always have a question when you're coaching people, you know, different things work for different people. But I always ask my ladies this. If you loved the way that you looked, would it matter what you weighed? And I don't know why we're so obsessed with numbers, but if we could get rid of that, really trying to coach women to get away from what you weigh and really more, what are, what are your tests at the doctor telling us? Um, how do you feel every day? Do you have enough energy to do the things that you want to do during the day? Do you... Um, are you sleeping well at night? Those are the questions I want you to answer, not how much do you weigh on the scale? Because that really doesn't tell me that much about you. I'm going to jump in and, and take this one before I pass it to these other lovely panelists. Um, I think that we also, as the fitness industry, need to claim the, the fact that words matter. And we, for so long as a fitness industry, didn't believe that what we said in that room mattered to people. And what we know now is that our clients take what we say to heart. And if we are constantly telling them that they're bad or they're having to take the easy route out because they're not as strong, or if we're having, if we're insulting their body type, their body style, their own choice of whether or not they're going to jump that day, whatever we happen to be putting on negative spin on, they take that to heart and they begin to feel like, they don't belong in that fitness training place because they're not strong enough. They're not fast enough. They're not uh, the right body type, the right body style. They don't have a summer body, if you will. And we, as an industry, need to realize that if we don't start leading more with positivity, if we don't start becoming more welcoming to everyone, to all of the stages of where they are in their fitness journey, we're going to keep pushing people away from us. And that specifically goes towards our female clientele who hear what we have to say and take it to be affecting of their, their self-worth and their self-confidence. So we have got to work on how we cue, how we talk to people, realizing that our words matter, our body language matters, how we speak to people during activity matters whether or not they come back to activity. I couldn't agree more with words and there's a lot of research as well supporting Catastrophic language uh, will increase the experience of pain. Um, and, and it's so important, you know, just by me reconsidering the language I use with my clients, such as words like tight and weak and dysfunctional, removing that from my vocabulary completely changes my client's experience. And, and that is, you know, the utmost important to me. Um, and again, this goes to show that whether it's male, female, non-binary, everybody's inclusive, we need to treat them as an individual. The one thing that I will say is that from having a daughter, it is really important to me. And, you know, she came to me and said, I want that, that big butt. <laughs> and uh, you can't see me waist down. But let me just tell you, if you look at me and my husband, there's no way, honey. <laughs> You're not getting a big bootalicious, but um, I've got a flat ass and so is my husband. So that's it. 
Um, and, and the reason why that is so important, though, is because the image that she sees is that certain exercises with bands or donkey kicks are going to give her that bottom. And to me, that is wrong because it's not truthful. Uh, if the band was heavy enough, if the load was enough, if that resistance was enough, then she wouldn't be able to get the range in the muscle. So she wouldn't be hitting those high threshold motor units at the intensity that she needs. So she's not going to get that butt from that. And also with the fact that her genetics aren't supporting that. And we're not even talking about diet. Um, and why is that so important? Because if she does those exercises and she doesn't have a nagging mother like me saying that that's a load of rubbish, then she may think that she's a failure because she's done what everybody has said. And the person who is role modeling this has an amazing bottom. Um, but what I have discovered is how they have that amazing bottom. Uh, do you know, you can get them from Amazon. Top tip here, ladies. These are padded pants. Not only are these padded pants on your bottom, glute mead as well, and you can get double pads. And I have to say, I'm a convert. They're amazing, but it is worse than being Bridget Jones because if you take those knickers off, I tell you what, <laughs> that's the end of romance. <laughs> you oh. are hilarious. I, I have been taking notes. I have the padded pants, Amazon, forget the booty bands. <laughs> well, you know, people get um, injections. No, not, yeah, injections, but. Um, and surgery. Yeah. But on that serious note, you know, it, it could affect her self-esteem and her self-efficacy. And the last thing I want is a, a, a daughter that has low self-esteem and body image. Unbelievable. True. See, now there are numbers and they're really important coming from a scientific perspective. But I totally agree. I think people are obsessed with the wrong numbers. We're so past weight. Weight is what we use to determine how many people can fit in an elevator. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That is how obsolete straight body weight is. It's just basically for engineering, et cetera. Now, when you are lighter, usually people don't understand. They're lighter because they have more lean mass generally. Because if you don't have as much fat, you have to have probably... It's just, you don't gain fat and lean mass at the same time. It just doesn't usually happen that way, unless it's something that's out of the, you know, law, regular laws of physics, right? So what I would love to help people is one, understand what are the right numbers? What's your lean mass? What is your current blood pressure? What are your cholesterol numbers? You know, on a scale of one to 10, what are your levels of depression and anxiety? Stuff like that. I would like to see that become more of the norm of what a personal trainer or a, a per, you know, physical per, uh, fitness professional would be focusing on. And then coaching to that data. And it's really critical to understand coaching is an art. You must understand when you are coaching a class or a workout, what are the objective parts of the data of that workout? And what are the subjective parts? This is the art of coaching the woman, the motivation, 
the knowledge, what she's going to need to know. Is there a halfway point? How many more? Etc. Things like that will help her move forward. But you know, if it's 10, it's 10. If it's a mile, it's a mile. If it's 30 minutes, it's 30 minutes. That's the hard data. So really helping them understand the differences between the two. And I know for a fact, I know this, being a master trainer for TRX is a perfect example, coaching people by yelling at them and shouting out things is not about coaching people. That's about having nothing intelligent to say as a trainer or a fitness professional. And I must tell you, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I am trying to hold you as a fitness professional to a higher standard. And that would be the data. That would be you understanding the implication of the data. If I'm 0.9 away from a, you know, a, my, my mile, that's when you should be jumping in and giving me the hardcore push, right? It's not halfway through. Woo, come on! That is just noise. And can it's maddening for me. Can I interject on that? Because there's yes, some please. such you lovely points in that. Um, <laughs> the um, Having the science behind what we do, underpinning everything we do. But then I think we also need to make sure that we're actually meeting the client where they are. And at the end of the day, personal training isn't tangible. We are judged on how we make a client feel. And so we need to make sure they feel the way they like to feel in the session. So that might be, you know, the energy system that you're going for, but also how they feel three days later. So if Doris has had sciatica and she doesn't want to feel her backside, then you better make sure that you go nowhere near flexion, adduction and internal rotation, right? But if you want to make sure that she can't walk down the stairs because she's one of us weird people that loves <laughs> to feel the agony of a good workout. So if that's her, you better make sure that you are literally getting every time flexion and internal rotation on that hip. So she's going, oh my God, what have you done to me? That's how we get judged. And no one training session has ever achieved anything. So the most important thing is an experience that makes someone want to come back for. And I will have to say, Irene, I'm not sure I agree with you on the coaching totally, because sometimes you need to be the person that is the sister, the auntie, the, the gentle guide. And then sometimes you just need to get them to get the job done. But and it's using... the right time. That's all I'm saying. If, yeah. I, I know I sound like this hater of like <laughs> encouragement and I don't, It's but I totally, I, I agree with you. Every I, now and I again, a whoop whoop. Yes. <laughs> you just have to, you know what you have to do? You have to say it at the right time and you have to mean it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that was amazing. But I yeah. honestly mean it. It just, yeah. And that's yeah. meeting people where they are too, I think too. Yeah, you guys that's did such a good job of bringing it back to what we were talking about with the first question. Of like it's meeting each individual where they are and not assuming that everybody's the same not assuming that that what motivates you is going to motivate them and what motivate the person before them is not going to motivate what the, what the client is that you're working with in that moment so it's a great way for you guys to kind of like bring it back full circle of everybody's different it's all individuality context and yeah. words like you said as well in that right moment and we have an amazing question that's going to bring it all back around uh, Peggy asked, how do you get clients to care about the data when so many are appearance driven? And I just want to throw this in education, like what Irene said, she said, we have to educate them. Now, 
in my personal experience, they're going to completely shut down if they come in and they say to you, you know, I want to have a summer body, whatever. And you're like, well, that's great. But let's talk about your cholesterol. Blah, blah, and you're telling them all this stuff. They're going to be like, I, I just want to look at my swimsuit. It's one of those things that you kind of have to bring them in. You, you got to reel them in and softly get them there and then start dropping the knowledge bombs as you're training them. That's my opinion on that. But I'd love to hear what you other gals have to say to answer Peggy's question. There's a lot of psychology studies out that, that prove that women specifically love public celebrations. They feel most seen, most honored, um, and, and, and most supported when there are public celebrations about what she does. It doesn't have to be specifics on she lowered her blood pressure by this many points. It just has to be that she lowered her blood pressure and done in a public way. And women seem to according to psychology studies, really seem to hold on to that supportive factor. So any way that you can, if your client has the smallest step forward, celebrate it. It shouldn't just be her celebrating it. You as a trainer should be celebrating it. If you're able to do something like have a client board where somebody does something positive, they get their name, they get their picture. Doesn't Again, doesn't have to be specific. Just has to be that you're celebrating that woman and she will, like Joanne said, She'll want to come back because she likes to be celebrated for her little tiny steps. And it's not about celebrating how different she looks in her bikini. It's about celebrating the things we want her to start focusing on. I think that's, great. Um, that's a, a, a great point. And it, it really ties in with knowing what is important to the client. So the most important part is building rapport and connection with your client getting to know not just what they say they want, what they think they want, but what's underneath that. You know, we often hear, oh, their goal is weight loss. Is it? Uh, is my first question, is it really? Because that to me is just a hurdle. So why, why is weight loss important? You know, what, what's going to be different? Um, well, I've got a wedding. I, is it an invite only if you're an X amount size or a certain weight? Will you not be allowed to go to the wedding? Because if that's the case, they're not great mates. You should just cross them off your list anyway. Um, and so what is it behind that? And then it might be, well, you know, I've, I've started snoring and now my husband's sleeping in a separate room. And I'm worried that if we continue to sleep in separate rooms, you know, we're going to end up having divorce or he's going to have an affair. Now we're getting to a very, very different program. And that program isn't even interested in weight loss. That program is helping someone with their self-esteem, making them feel sexy, making them feel good. So it's a program that gives them hurdles and obstacles in the form of exercise that makes them feel accomplished and strong and going back so then you can celebrate their successes whatever that might be so I believe that it comes down to your initial interviewing with your client getting to know that person and creating that experience I, I have something I want to share this is the Lego case study of 2014. If you were to put that into a Google search, you could search it out yourself. Here's a nutshell story of it. It was conducted in Denmark. And the Lego company wanted to know why little boys like to play with Legos more than little girls. So as part of the study, they would examine these little boys, you know, making firemen and they'd create this whole little thing and they were the firemen and this whole village or police or whatever. 
That's not what women do. And this, I think, is important to understand just in your approach to women in general. What they found with the little girls was they did not adhere to that focus of play with respect to Legos because <laughs> this is the best. Women don't become other people's personas. They create other personas and make them become them. This is why I think it's really important to honor women in such a way they're natural born leaders. They look at a situation and figure out, they have a very different perspective. I just think that study is really critical to look at. And just based on that training women, it just gives you a different perspective. Um, with my clients in particular virtual, to help them understand that I need for, I'll give you a perfect example. I like to do a lot of adductor stuff. And when you're virtual um, and I'm working with women, I send them equipment, it's just part of my program, send them like a ball and gliding discs and a band and, and they are required to get some dumbbells. They have limited equipment. And then over time, I try to encourage them to get more and more and more um, submaximal loads, but we are able to achieve a lot in those timeframes um, but they will frequently say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Doesn't like, I don't like the way it feels. Think about how many men say that to you when you're training them versus women, right? That's just a perfect example. They're like, I can't make that be part of me. So we're going to change it. Whereas men will be like, I'll just make it happen. I don't care if I have to go through this range of motion through my chest. I'm going to make, I'm going to do it, you know? And that's also a little bit of our culture too. There's a lot, I think, more to that. But I think it's important to look at that um, leadership quality that women have. And then, so I, you know, the adductor muscle group thing, for example, just use that as a perfect example. Frequently, when I do some of the muscle work with that, many women that don't train, you know, like we do, they don't feel anything. They can't even get their femur off the floor in the frontal plane, if that's the position they're in. And they, they're like, this isn't working. And I'm like, okay, just give me just this round and then tell me how, and they're like, oh my God, it's because, you know, they're not recruiting any fiber and suddenly they start. So it's great because it helps me build confidence in myself with them. And then it also helps them trust me a little bit more. So when I direct them away from something, they're like, I don't want to do that one. You know, I might be, so that's one of the strategies I use to try to help get women do things they might not want to do because my job is basically getting women to do the third set and beyond. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. Lot, lots of little nuances with training our ladies for sure. Okay. I want to, this is Ooh. going to be, yes, go ahead. Joanne. Sorry, just because of Peggy's question. The other thing, Peggy, that you can do is um, I play a little game. So in order to get Irene's point of the extra rep, uh, the which ones do you like? Which exercises do you like? Oh, well, I like the da, 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 da. You love a burpee. Great. Awesome. Fabulous. Or maybe they don't, you know, but whatever it is. But what you get to do is we will play this game. Whoever gets the point gets to do the next part. So if you lose, you get to do my exercise. And if you win, you get that. And that way it becomes more playful and they're taking ownership of that workout as well. So giving autonomy is another great way of uh, encouraging them to do what's needed. That's awesome, Joanne. That was a good point. I like that a lot. <laughs> no, no, please talk. That's why we're here. We're here to talk. 
But this next question has a lot of pieces, parts to it. And I, I think we are all going to have something to offer. Um, what are some considerations for working with pregnant, postpartum, and or menopausal women in the gym? Any of you ladies work with uh, pregnant, postpartum? You want to go? I'll, I'll go. <laughs> I don't like going first, but this is seems to be on trend. Um, I think we use a lot of stereotypes to classify people when they're pregnant. And we go into this idea that they're fragile and we're scared to do anything because we might break them. And they're at their critical part where they're like keeping the human species going and we can't possibly hurt them in that moment, right? And we get very fearful of working with pregnant clients and we need to realize that they're not fragile, they're not helpless beings, that they're at their strongest when they are carrying a child. We need to stop also lumping them together and saying, oh, well, my mom told me when she was pregnant that this A, B, and C bothered her. So we're going to assume that this bothers everyone. It goes back to that biodiversity and individualism. Every single pregnancy is different. Every single mom is different. It doesn't matter if this mom has had four kids before, or this is her first one. The journey that she goes through over the next nine months is going to be individual to that, that nine months. It's not going to be the same. And so we need to have open communication. And to Joanne's point before, a lot of trust. Those pregnant clients need to be able to, to trust you to tell you when things hurt, when things are bothering them. Come in and tell you, I didn't sleep. I've been throwing up. I haven't eaten. I feel dizzy. My ankles are swollen. Whatever their issues are, they need to be able to come and tell it to you and not feel judged or feel like they're weak or feel like they're failing you in any way. But also in the same time, come in and feel, I feel great. I'm in the second trimester. Everything's great. Hormones are leveled out. Finally, I can see my feet still. Let's go. Let's go hard. And you have the information, the knowledge, the education on what's safe in each of her trimesters, but realizing that every individual needs to be treated as that, as an individual. Good. I love I that. want to but um, I just want to say that some of the women that have come to me, the, I have some gripes about um, things. And one of the things that I find is a woman will have a baby. She goes through her eight weeks or 12 weeks, you know, whatever it is, depending on how she had the baby. And then her doctor goes, you're cleared for exercise. And they come in, they're like, all right, Amber, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, absolutely not. I have trained so many women who had no idea that they had diastasis recti. Their, their doctor didn't even discuss that with them. None of them have any idea that they should go to a pelvic floor physical therapist first before they try to start any lifting or running or any of that. So I just wanted to throw that in from my coaching experience with the small amount of women that I've had who have been postpartum. Please check those things with them. Please have those connections with people that can help your ladies because they are not ready to go straight back to exercise once their doctor cleared them for exercise. And it's amazing how people throughout pregnancy will, will start taking things away when it's not necessarily needed to be taken away, but then postpartum when they actually need the most handhelding, most regressions, most easy uh, movements forward is when trainers just throw the whole, you know, bucket at them and say, Try all of this on your hands backwards and in heels. And that's the time when she actually needs the most safety precautions and, be, and, and being um, guided 
into what the correct protocol is. And I think from from what we said as, as well, going back to being pregnant, obviously watching out for all those contraindicated reasons for exercise, um, but encouraging the fact that exercise can reduce the risks on many of those things, not always, but many of those things to always keep a good relationship with the doctor, the physiotherapist as well. When someone does come in though, uh, come back from having a child, I know we're talking about diastasis recti, but what we're really talking about is connective tissue. Um, and and the, the issue I do have is the fear mongering over diastasis recti, and you might kick me off the call at this point. Um, but Number one, why we still put a finger into somebody's separation, I will not know, because it's a bit like saying, how deep is my cut? Can you just poke your finger around in it? Or can I just check for, um, you know, have you got digestional diabetes? Let me just lick it and see. Um, no, we don't do that. So why do we stick fingers between their stomach separation? Because that's worse than words. Um, uh, now, the other thing is, has everybody seen the film The Shining? Okay, so here's the thing. The separation, and we've got the connective tissue, the linear ulna. And what happens, just like in The Shining, when he wants to get through, okay, the, the door, when that axe or jack is coming through the door, that's not good. Okay, so if your guts and your innards are poking out, of a diastasis recti, we shouldn't be going near them. That is medical. That is a, for a doctor. But if it isn't, a doctor isn't concerned about it. Now that's really interesting to me. So unless the guts are protruding out, a doctor isn't interested. Now that doesn't mean that we can't get help because it might be that we're not happy with our body but it's understanding why we need help. And actually what we need to do is move. And I can't find anywhere. So please, if you find some studies that please go out there and prove me wrong, because I've been trying to find a reason why any exercise shouldn't be allowed and I cannot find one. And so if that's the case, why are we scared? the living daylights out of a mother who's doing her best to get up at night feed her child and now she's told she can't do a sit-up I mean I, I wouldn't do a sit-up because let's face it I was told that they spot fat reduce and they don't so I wouldn't do a sit-up but if you like a sit-up you should definitely 100% do a sit-up but the last thing I want is to have words that scare my client I want them to know they're capable within their their uh, where they are in their journey now obviously with that it is like doing a marathon it is the longest biggest enduring endurance event ever so think about how you would recover after a marathon would you go and do certain things so be respectful to your body um but let's not fear people to death unless jack is there with his axe well you know i have a short story and then just how I deal with, especially women who, you know, I see a lot of younger women that are taking, cause you know, I've been teaching friends a lot of step classes. Yeah, step is coming back. So are carbs, I think. Anyway, it's a different <laughs> webinar. Finally. But I know finally people aren't gonna be mean anymore. 
Um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I was strength training. And I remember this older woman, she was, she, she was old. She had to be older than 75. Oh my gosh. She came up to me in the weight room and just gave me the what's what about being a selfish person for exercising during my pregnancy. I mean, I was so, so blindsided by that. I didn't even know what to expect. Interestingly enough, I was at the last semester of my graduate program. So guess what I made as my graduate study for my thesis? Exercise and pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So the very last you know, it was the, like the ACOG guidelines were updated like in 94 at that time. So I don't have nearly the background Jessica has with stuff like that. But um, whenever I get, and I get these younger women now, and they're still seeing the medical community who act like, now don't, don't, don't no, I wouldn't say anything, but it's very patriarchal, at least where I live. And um so I just share with her, listen, I'm going to give you a copy of the ACOG guidelines. I want you to do everything your medical team shares with you. Remember, I'm not a medical professional. I cannot give you that advice and I will never override a medical person's advice. But I do want you to share these most updated guidelines and just see what you two think together about some of your exercise choices. Boom, boom. I'm out. Not my responsibility. She has the information she needs and then we can take it to the next level. So um, I think that's important in order for me to stay in my scope of practice, but it was really interesting because yeah, I got exercise shame for exercising when I was pregnant. So we are coming up. This is our five minute warning. And I definitely want to touch on the menopause, perimenopause and menopause. So I would love for you guys, (laughs) yeah, right? to let's talk about that. What are some considerations with working with our menopausal women? What was that? (laughs) I forgot already. (laughs) And now I'm just going to start itching. (laughs) I, you know what, the first thing I would say is a a supportive partner. That's really helpful. But, um, it's important to, I think, I work with a lot of women. In fact, I kind of help them understand the changing hormones and how they affect their body. They start seeing more stubborn fat. Well, they're holding on to more visceral body fat. They have lower levels of estrogen. No wonder they're cranky. You know, there's all kinds of things that are going on and they don't understand. And my key for my training program, and I'm not going to not share it with anybody because it's what I do. It's volume training. And then I just use an eight week progressive program, et cetera. And it's, I, it's my just start program. And I, and, and so many women, especially in menopause, they either haven't exercised for a long time or they were doing what worked this and that then, which is primarily <clears throat> cardio. Um, it's necessary, but there are so many other options that will get women what they want. And I I really believe diet and strength training is really critical. And I think mobility and flexibility can't really exist um, without each other. And then I think cardio is really important, but especially for women who are, you know, menopausal, generally, not always, but generally when you're menopausal, you've got a low back issue, a shoulder issue, a foot issue, a knee issue, or an ankle issue. If you don't, I don't know how you lived, but a lot of people do. So I really try to decrease the cardio, particularly high impact, very into the bursts, try to get into glycolytic depletion, try to help them understand what that means and why it's important in our workouts. And, and, you know, we just, 
usually they get the results that they want because you can look amazing 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. You can. It takes a yeah. lot of discipline, but it can be done. Yes, it does. That's And that's the majority of my clientele. And we push, we are a strength training-based studio here. And um, that is so very important for many things. First off, maintaining the muscle mass because we are starting to lose it faster as we go through this time period. And then also helping with osteopenia and osteoporosis. We have four women who through our programming and our classes here at my studio, one just told me this morning that she improved her severe neck and spinal osteoporosis by 14% and her hips by 7%. So yeah, we have really great results here. And then also a lot of women don't realize that now we're at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease once we go through men or you know perimenopause and menopause. So yeah, the cardio is important for that aspect as well and just moving and keeping going. But the strength training is so important. We've got to maintain that muscle mass. Yeah, I think, um, did you want to say something, Jessica? Otherwise I'm jumping in again. <laughs> Go ahead. You're good, Joanne. Um, yes, it, I think it's important that they move. And I think if we start to take anything away from anyone, movement is good. Okay. Uh, and so strength training as well. I think we just need to clarify if they enjoy lifting weights, fantastic. Gymnasts are always also incredibly strong too. So find a way that they are lifting weights, whether that's body weight, gymnastics, pole dancing. There's so many things that people can do that make them feel great. Uh, I do have to say as well, osteopenia, osteoporosis, that can happen to our young teenagers, particularly if they're overtraining um, and you know, eating disorders and things like that. So it doesn't just sneak up and it's certainly not women only as well. So I've had men in a, in a similar boat. So we just need to sort of keep that to the forefront as well. Um, absolutely, you know, uh, cardiovascular disease is on the rise. So second that, you know, get people moving, but um, empower them to move. And I think Irene brought up a really good point about the crankiness. I think at some point when you're training perimenopausal and menopausal women, you just have to focus on the joy. What is going to bring them happiness to what Joanne brought up as well of making sure it's still balanced in what they're doing. But if it's not bringing them joy, they're not going to stay with it. And they're not going to come back. If you don't know that they really love to be pushed hard. If you haven't asked those questions, if you haven't figured out their learning style, their moving style, they're not going to come back to you because they're cranky like Irene said, but to bring back what Amber said a minute ago as well, they're so focused on the number for the most part, right? They want to be the number that they were prior to this change of life. And for the most part, things aren't going to go back that way. So how can we flip the script? How can we have them focus on other numbers, on other, go on other goals, on goals that are going to keep them healthy, happy, and safe as they continue through their next stage of life? Excellent. I think flipping the switch is so important and the words that we use, because I think it is fantastic at the moment that we're all talking about menopause. Um, and I did forget to say when you're talking about pregnant women as well, make sure that they train next door to the, the bathroom so they can go in and out. And the same thing with menopausal women, you know, don't put them in a room that's really hot and expect them to be happy, get them where it's no. ventilated. All of those mm -hmm. sorts of things help the experience. Um, 
but we do need to be careful of the words and the way we're talking about this because I'm hearing young teenagers going, oh my God, the menopause. And, and the, we don't want to do that. There are some positives of it. The visceral fat moves for a reason. It helps prevent cancers. We also get to have sex without worrying about being pregnant. So there are some fabulous things that we can do. And let's not just say that it's a trophy down there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then uh, we can talk later. Um, <laughs> but you lose it. If you don't have a partner, as Irene said, supportive partner get a toy one you know <laughs> make sure that you are still training every area and having fun excellent ladies we have such had such a great time tonight but i need a 30 second little elevator pitch from each of you on coaching women properly i'm going to start with irene well I just think it's really important to meet people where they are. And I believe that once you understand that, you'll be very successful, but quickly. Joanne mentioned this, and I think about it a lot. We need to be paid as fitness professionals per experience, not by the minute. Oh, you get paid $45 an hour, but your class is only 30 minutes. So you only get paid half that rate by the experience. If you want to increase the value of women in the fitness industry as a fitness professional, that's what we need to start advocating for. First thing. Thank you. Thank you. Jessica, your 30 second pitch. 30 seconds is so hard. Uh, my 30 second pitch is that we need to remember that every time a female comes to train with us, that it should be an individual experience that we should be catering to her wants, her needs and her desires, but educating her too on what their next evolution is. What's her next step. We need to also keep in mind that we're constantly needing to train her as to what her next life goal or life stage is. Instead of thinking about what she needs right then and there in that minute, we need to be thinking about what her future state is going to be so happy that she learned how to do. Excellent. How about you, Joanne? Well, I think that uh, you've both said some brilliant things. So with coaching, I think it's getting to know your client and continually getting to know your client. So keep reassessing, listen to everything. Every time their breath changes, every time they move within space, listen not to what they say, but what their body tells you. Find out why they've come. But then as they discover why they've come, find out what it was that was important behind that goal and then build the experience towards that. Um, and as I said, they will judge you on the way that you make them feel. So make them feel amazing, but also every now and again, make them feel absolutely horrendous so that then you can make them feel like they've hit a party and always leave them thinking they want to come back for a little bit more. Knowledge. And to do that, it has to be underpinned by knowledge. So remove your ego. Uh, that, that took me a while. And keep going back to the research, because that way, when you're wrong, because we will be, um, then we just get to change. So just keep asking questions, remain curious. Good. And I would say, empower her, give her compliments, tell her she's beautiful and she's smart and she can change the world. And thank you guys for joining us tonight. We so appreciate it. Ladies, I thank each of you and Carter for being in the background, making every making sure everything goes over smoothly. We appreciate you. Make sure you um, tune in and listen to the podcast as well. Y'all have a great night and let's go empower those ladies.
Thank you all for the comments. I've been trying to read them all there. 